of the new covenant. In Roman or in Hebrews, rather, chapter eight, I'm going to break into the context here, and I'm going to say, uh, describe for you, and read for you what the Lord actually promises in this new covenant of grace, and then we'll make application to ourselves. He says in verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbors and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their, their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now we've already covered the first two. First promise given to us, which our author of Hebrews, by the way, says are better promises than the old covenant made. And let me just quickly show you the difference. The old covenant gave you promises. Okay, and you're all used to the old covenant. You've been steeped in it. You've been brainwashed by it. You've been raised up in it. It's a promise. It's a covenant that says, if you behave yourself, God will bless you. And you've heard that all your life. Now, it also included another promise that says, if you don't behave yourself, God will curse you. That was the old covenant made at Mount Sinai. Moses delivered that to the children of Israel. The problem with the old covenant, as our author has pointed out to us already, is it didn't work. Scaring you with punishment does not change your behavior. Did you know that? You can't scare people into obedience. You can't threaten them, no matter what the punishment is, into obedience. You see, there's all kinds of laws on our books right now against murder. And yet there's murders constantly. Those laws have no impact. So the old covenant didn't work. So God established a new covenant, and that's the covenant we're studying. And the very first promise of that new covenant, he says, I am going to write, put my law in your heart and write it or in your mind and write it on your hearts. What does that mean? That means God is going to give you the want to do what's best for you and everybody else around you. He is going to give you the want to to follow His commands. Along with that, He promised a special relationship. He said, you're going to, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. We're going to have a special relationship. And then He further elaborates on that in the second promise of the New Covenant when He says, just points blankly, you're not going to have need that someone tell you about me saying, know the Lord. You're not going to need that. Why? Because God Himself is going to talk to you personally. He's going to talk to you. 
just like we're talking. He promised personal communication with his people. And that brings us to this last covenant and better promise, or the last promise of new covenant, which is a better promise concerning your iniquities, your unrighteousness, and your sins. What does that mean? All the times you've screwed up. Whether you got caught or not. See, under the old covenant, we tried to figure out what the rules were and how to behave ourselves according to those rules, but we also digressed a little bit to figure out how are we going to weasel out of the consequences if we don't behave. This third promise of the new covenant says, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to deal with your unrighteousness. I'm going to deal with your sins. Now at first, because we're so used to the old covenant, we think, yeah, I know how he's going to deal with it. He's going to squash me like a bug and fry my butt in hell. That's how he's going to deal with it. No, that's the old covenant. This is the new covenant. How is he going to deal with your unrighteousness? How is he going to deal with your sins and your iniquities? And that's an amazing thing he reveals here. He says simply, I will remember them no more. I can't remember them. I won't remember them. Now this always kind of plagued me a little bit because of our natural abilities here. When someone hurts you, someone offends you, Someone does something bad to you. Yeah, you guys watch out for those little green green caterpillars that are falling out of the sky this time of year. Essentially, they're harmless, but they will freak you out. Okay. When someone sins against you, does something to hurt you, does something bad towards you. It might be possible for you, like God, to forgive them, right? Kind of like Jesus did, you know, when the guys had him on the ground on the cross, getting ready to nail him to the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now that, you're capable of that. You're capable of forgiving them. Someone that hurt you, you can let it slide. You can say, okay, I'm forgiving you. In fact, the majority of our relationships with other people is bound up with forgiveness because people are not perfect. They don't do everything perfectly. They frequently hurt you. They frequently screw up. And so we have to forgive them. Either that or we choke them, one or the other. <laughs> we have to forgive them or we hate them. It's the same with God. He can forgive your sins. The root meaning of the word forgive is to send it away. Mainly what you're sending away are the consequences of those sins. But if somebody hurts you, 
And even if you forgive them, miraculously forgive them, you will never forget that they hurt you. You will remember it from that day on. You'll never forget. Sound went out again? All right, David will fix it. You can't forget it. I mean, think about it. Depending on how hurt you are, depending on how severe the offense was, you will remember it the rest of your life. Even if you don't remember it consciously, you'll remember it subconsciously. You'll remember they did something to you. There it is. David, all David did was look at it. He didn't tweak anything. He just opened the door and said, okay, I'm there. I'm going to get it. For God to say, your unrighteousness, your sins, your iniquities, I will remember no more, is miraculous. It's something beyond our understanding. You see, I, I can forgive you if you hurt me. But I'll never trust you. Because I'll never forget that you hurt me. Well, how can God forget? How can He actually forget what we did in our sins? How can He actually forget that? That brings us to consideration of what I consider to be the deepest part of the good news of the Gospel. The very heart of the Gospel. The good news of what God has done for us we couldn't do for ourselves. The very heart of that Gospel is what allows God to forget, to remember no more our unrighteousness, our sins, and our iniquities. And the deepest part of that Gospel is the one thing that I've found in 50 years of ministry that is the most difficult thing for people to understand. And the most difficult thing for people to understand, much less believe, never mind practice, is that God has stated, black and white, written it down in His Word, and communicates through you, to you through His Spirit this one central fact, and that is simply, you are no longer the same person you've always thought you were. So when you consider yourself and your own identity right now, you think of your history. And you think of all those factors that form and make up who you are. From childhood experiences, social influences. You take all that in consideration and you think, that's who I am. And you identify yourself naturally in various ways. But let me tell you the heart of the good news. Here's the heart of the good news. You're not the same person you've always thought you were. That's the heart of the good news. That's not you. 
That's what you remember and you think you are, but that's not really who you are. That's why God doesn't remember your unrighteousness. That's why He doesn't remember your sins and iniquities. Because that person you used to be was unrighteous. That person you used to be was steeped in sins and iniquities. Let me give you the first proof of that. I've got several here that I want to run through with you real quick. But the first proof of that is found in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, tremendous chapter, by the way, in the Scriptures. Tremendous statement. In Ephesians chapter 2, and I'll just read it to you. In the first ten verses, he says this, And you, that's you he's talking about, hath he quickened, that's King James English for made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or our lifestyle in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, but God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And not not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. This is a very clear statement written down in black and white of what God said He did to you. Whether you believe it or not, doesn't really matter. God said He did it to you. Now, if you don't know that God said He did it to you, you can't believe it, right? That's my job to tell you. This is what God said He did to you. You, who were by nature selfish and self-centered. You, who were cute when you were little so your parents didn't kill you so you could grow up because you were so selfish and self-centered. You, who think only about yourself do not care about anyone else or anything else other than what you can get. You who were dead in sins and trespasses, that's the old you. Now I know you've tried to cover it up. I know you've tried to clean it up. I know you've tried to cover it all up like kitty litter and present yourself as some good human being, but you stunk. That's your old person you were. That's no longer who you are. God saw that. He knew full well who you were. 
He knew you were dead in sins and trespasses. He knew you walked according to the course of this world, the natural conditioning of your society. He knew you were selfish and self-centered. He knew all about that. But He did something for you. He quickened you together with Christ. He made you alive together with Christ. Now in order for you to understand that process, I'm going to read another passage to you. Found in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, it gets a little more specific about that process. Talking about the same thing, Him making you a new person. But listen to what He says here, beginning in verse 3. He says, No, you not. Don't you know? Now here, He's writing to believers. And this is really, this is really my, my burden. There are thousands of believers out there. I'm, I'm convinced there's millions of believers out there who believe in Jesus, who believe in God. They're believers, but they don't know who they are. They don't know who God made them to be. They have not heard the depths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. You see, the good news is not as evangelical Christianity and various other groups would have you believe that the good news is if you trust Jesus, you might not have to go to hell when you die if you behave yourself. That's not good news. It never was good news to me. You know why? I could never behave myself. It never was good news to me at all. That's not good news. That doesn't give you eternal life. That promises you temporary life, probationary life. It's still up to you. That's not good news. Paul writing to believers who did not yet understand, much less receive the good news he was teaching them right here in chapter 6 of Romans asked them this question. Don't you know, believers, don't you know that so many of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Now that's a mouthful, isn't it? First of all, don't let the word baptized throw you. Baptized is a transliteration. Not a translation, a transliteration. What that means is they took the Greek word, baptizo, and they transliterated it into English letters. So baptizo became baptism. But what the heck does it mean? Baptizo was a term used by commercial clothers or, or dyers that referred to when they dyed a garment purple. And by the way, they made big bucks back in Paul's day doing this. Okay, Because the high class people, they paid big bucks for garments that were made purple. That showed everybody they were high class and better than everybody else. So they paid big bucks for that. And if you were a dyer at that time, you would use the word baptizo to describe the process of dyeing. Dyeing a garment. You take a garment and you dip it. Here, I used the tub over here, alright? You take a garment and you dip it into the dye, in the solution. And when you raise it up, it's a different color. 
and when you dipped it. That's how you dye a garment. So what did you do in Dyer's term? You baptized that garment. You all follow? Baptizo was a Greek word that described the process of dyeing a garment to produce a different color. Now what happened, as you all know molecularly, what happens is when the garment goes down, the particles in the dye cling to the fabric of the garment and that's what gives it a different color when you pull it out. When Paul says, don't you know that you were baptized into Christ's death? He presents one of the most shocking facts about the gospel. And that is the reason you're no longer the same person you've always thought you were. Because when Christ died on the cross, you died with Him. You, that old person you were, that selfish, self-centered person you were, died with Him. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death. Because you are joined to Christ in His death, you are joined to Him in His burial. And then he goes on to write, when you were raised up, you were raised up a brand new person. See, most people never even consider that. Most people think, well, I'm the same person I've always been. Ever since I've been born, I'm the same person I've always been. No, you're not. Not according to what God says. He's done. He crucified that old person with Christ, buried him, and raised up a brand new person. That's what he describes when he says, you who are dead in sins and trespasses, hath he quickened together with Christ. What does that mean? He killed the old person you were? buried it once and for all, and raised up a new person. Why did he do that? He goes on to say, Therefore we were buried with Him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up by the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The reason He killed that old sinful person you were and raised up a brand new person so you could have a new lifestyle. And he goes on in the verses that follow to make it clear what his purpose was. He wanted to kill that old person you were because that old person you were was not acceptable to God. And he raised up a new person that he could receive. Now, Paul says this everywhere in all his letters. I'm not going to take all the time this morning to go through each one, but I'll just mention a couple more to you. In 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, therefore, if any man be in Christ Jesus, that's being baptized to Christ, joined to inseparably with Christ, he is a new creation. God created you as a new person. And he again talks about how that happened in verse 21 when he says, for he made him that knew no sin. Who was that? That was Jesus. Jesus, who never sinned. God made Him who knew no sin to be made sin for us. When did that happen? Again, on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, 
And there were three hours of darkness. Had you been there and you had your little flashlight or your cell phone with the flashlight in it, and you shined it up on the cross to see Jesus, you would not have recognized Him as a human being. Why? Because, because He made Him who knew no sin to be made sin for you. Why? That the righteousness of God might be fulfilled in you. He changed you. Transformed you into a brand new person with the righteousness of God. You say, okay, I'm beginning to understand that. One of those little things. I'm beginning to understand that now. So God changed me into this new person. Right? Yeah, He changed you into a new person. Well, how come if God changed me into this new person, how come I still think of myself as the old person? Naturally. Because all that transpired in that transition from the old to the new was inside of you in your spirit being. He transferred your spirit being from being dead in sins and trespasses to being alive in Christ. You're still living in the same body that you were born with. And in that same body you were born with, it's your, in your memory, is all of the times that you screwed up. All of the times that you blown it. All of the times that you're guilty. It's still there in your memory. The only thing you have to depend on is the Word of God. The Word of God says you're a new person. Everything else in this world tells you you're not. Everything. Including your own mind. Natural mind. And so we got a little bit of a problem here. It's twofold. First of all, okay, I've received the righteousness of God or the righteousness of Christ. That means that I was bad, but now I'm good, right? No. Let's understand the righteousness of God. Was there ever a time when Jesus screwed up? When He was bad? And He turned over a new leaf and said, okay, from now on I'm going to be good. He was always righteous. That's the righteousness of God. So as far as God is concerned, this new person that He's made you to be with His righteousness, has never once sinned, is not sinning now, and never will sin. Why? Because you have the righteousness of God. You have received that. He has given it to you. The righteous, righteousness of God in Christ. Which explains, at least in my mind, why it is that God can tell you, I'm going to be merciful to your unrighteousness and your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Why? Because as far as God is concerned, that new person He's made you to be never has sinned. is not sinning now and never will sin. Because you have God's righteousness. 
You can't be held accountable in any way for sinning. Why? Because that's not who you are. God made you a brand new person created in Christ. Now he emphasizes the same thing in, in Colossians. I'm not going to take time to read it. But he says in Colossians chapter 3, Since you have been raised up with Christ, set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. For you, he said, are dead. You're dead. God killed you. He crucified you with Christ. You're dead and buried. And now you have a new life in Christ. That's the new life God has given to you. Now that's what God looks at you. When He looks at you, He sees the righteousness of His Son, Jesus. That's the only reason He accepts you. That's the only reason He loves you. The only reason He cares for you is because of who He's made you to be. The righteousness of Christ. As righteous as Jesus is. That's the real person you are. But as I said a moment ago, it's difficult for us to believe that, right? Your experience of that righteousness first comes when you exercise your faith in the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. The Spirit bears witness with your spirit, oh, I'm born again now. I'm a child of God. And you get this little inkling that you're this new person that God has made. And it's good. But that little inkling sooner or later kind of wears off. Did you know that? Yeah, it does. Why? Because you still live in a sin-cursed body. You still live in a sin-cursed world. Both of which are falling apart causing you trouble. So, so you say, well, maybe I'm not really a new person. Maybe that's not really true about me. I can accept that it might be true about other people, but not really true about me. What's telling you that? It ain't the Word of God that's telling you that. It's your own thinking, that natural carnal mind that is condemning you. It's the satanic influence of the world that's condemning you. Telling you you're not really who God said you may be. Let me, let me just give you my own personal example of that. Maybe you can relate to it. I first experienced the righteousness of Christ as a new person born of the Spirit when I was 11 years old. Did you know that? Yeah. That was a long time ago. That was back in the 1900s. <laughs> I was 11 years old. And I mean, it was great. As an 11-year-old boy, I was on cloud nine. That afternoon, we went to visit some family and relatives. And of course, my mouth was steady running. I was telling everybody what happened. Of course, they looked at me like I was crazy, but I told them what happened anyhow. And man, I was excited. And that excitement and that joy continued on the next day when I went to school. And even though I didn't have much of a chance to rebel in it at school, I was still excited and confident and joyful. 
there had been a change that occurred in me, and I knew it. But when I got home, I walked into an empty house. I was expecting to see my mom, my brothers and sister, but they were gone too. An empty house. You know what the first thing that hit that 11-year-old boy's mind was? Jesus had come back to take his own people and he left my butt here. Now where does that stuff come from? It comes from the natural mind empowered by satanic influence. To scare me. To think, well, that wasn't really what happened to you. You didn't become a new person. Not really. You're still the same old person you always were. Now that was bad enough, but that was just the beginning. Through my teenage years, you all hear stories about about a preacher's kid. Hmm? You ever hear any stories about the preacher's son? I'm the one that started those studies. <laughs> and throughout my teenage years, I felt like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde because that new person I was inside wanted to do what God wanted me to do. But there was another nature in me left over from who I used to be, stored in this body. Paul calls it the indwelling sin. Stored in all of it. That had a completely different agenda. It wanted to do what it wanted to do. And I was conflicted constantly. Like Paul in Romans 7. When I wanted to do what was right, I couldn't do it. When I wanted to quit doing what was wrong, I did it anyhow. You see, being a new person and believing you're a new person are two different things. God has said point blank in his word, you are no longer the same person you always thought you were. You are a brand new person created in Christ Jesus, holy and without blame before him in love. You're this brand new person, point blank. But do we believe it? Or do we fall prey to that sin that does so easily beset us? Unbelief. You see, the hardest time to believe you're a brand new person is right after your flesh flashes and you screw up big time. And everybody sees it and knows it. Are they going to believe you're a new person? Doubtful. They're going to look at you and say, hey, you're the same old person you've always been. You see, this core issue of the gospel is absolutely essential that we understand it, accept it, and believe it. Why? I'm going to just touch on this lightly and then we'll close. If you don't believe who God said He made you to be, you're going to continue on in the old lifestyle of misery. Your life is going to be run by a set of fears. You're going to be afraid. You're always going to be looking over your shoulder. You'll have no boldness or confidence at all. 
You'll be scared. Why? Because you won't know you're secure in God's love because of who He's made you to be. You'll always feel empty. You'll always feel like your life doesn't count for anything. You'll always feel like you're just another number. Why? Because your life will not have any significance, any true meaning or purpose because you don't believe who you are. Now, when you're feeling worthless, that is, insecure, unimportant, it hurts. It hurts bad. And so you'll be looking around for ways to take an edge off. How can I make myself feel better? And you'll give yourself over to work, as Paul put it in Ephesians, all uncleanness with greediness. You'll do anything it takes to make yourself feel good and feel better. And that result of that is you'll continue on in your self-centeredness, selfishness, incapable of thinking about, much less loving another person. That happens to believers. Did you know that? Oh yeah. Big time. So what's the answer? It always comes back to the same thing. Are you going to believe what God said is true or not? Ephesians chapter 2 reminds me of a story I tell frequently about this new identity. I had a buddy of mine named Curtis. He called me the other day, by the way. I can get back with him. But Curtis. I knew him years ago. It's back in Colorado. And Curtis had a somewhat of a breakdown, PTSD and all kinds of other stuff. His wife called me up one morning and said, you got to come see Curtis. He's crazy. I said, why would I want to see Curtis when he's crazy? I said, come over here and help Curtis. And she took their boy and they left, and I went over to Curtis' house. There's a little apartment they lived in. And I had knee surgery back then. I was hobbling on crutches, and I hobbled into Curtis's kitchen right there. And I looked, and there's my friend Curtis standing on the coffee table in his living room in his underwear holding a piece of fat off the steak he had last night and mumbling something about the fat thereof belongs to the Lord and explaining how he was going to eat this fat and it was going to turn into holy oil and it was going to ooze through the pores of his body and cleanse him. I think Curtis might have been crazy. I was thinking, okay, I'm on crutches. Curtis is that boy. How am I going to get Curtis to the hospital? How am I going to get help? Because it was PTSD. I knew better. I didn't really know what PTSD was, but because of his history, I knew better than to call the cops. Right? Come blazing in there. We caught in the middle of the firefight. And so I hobbled over to the couch and I sat down. Curtis was standing there in his underwear. And I happened to look over and on the little table next to his couch was his Bible. 
picked it up, opened it up, and it just fell open to Ephesians chapter 2, or chapter 1. Maybe. I looked at that, and I looked at Curtis, and the thought hit me. Curtis, I want you to get down off that table and sit in this chair here. I want to read something to you. You can hang on to your fat. Just get down. So he did. He sat there in the chair looking at me. Piece of fat in his hand. In his other word. And I opened his Bible where it fell open to Ephesians chapter 1. And I began to read it to him. And this is the way I read it to him. It started in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed Curtis with all blessings, spiritual blessings in the heavenlies, according as he hath chosen Curtis in him before the foundation of the world, that Curtis should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated Curtis unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ and Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made Curtis acceptable in the beloved. About that time I paused reading. I looked up Curtis. There were tears falling down his cheeks. I ask him one simple question. Curtis, do you want to believe this is true about you? Do you want to believe it? Not do you believe it. I know he didn't believe it. But do you want to? He just shook his head. Couldn't talk. He said, the first promise is the new covenant. I'll write, I'll put my law on their minds and I'll write it on their I'll give them the one too. The second promise, I'll talk personally to them. The third promise, their sins and iniquities I'll remember no more. I saw the new covenant come alive in Curtis. He got up, went to his bedroom. I don't know if he's going to come out with a gun or what. Put his jeans on, a t-shirt, came back out, sat down in the chair, looked at me and said, I want to believe what's true about me. Now I have to be honest about this story. Curtis did wind up in the Colorado State Mental Hospital. But he went in as a chaplain to minister to those folks. Why? Because he knew who God said he made him to be. It radically changes your life. When God speaks personally to you and tells you, you're my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. When He speaks personally to you and says, I've made you a new person. It doesn't matter what your history has been because now you have a new history. A history that never has sinned, is not sinning now, and never will. It doesn't matter what other people around you say because God told you Personally, you are my child. The new covenant is a covenant of grace. 
that God promised as far back as Jeremiah when he said, I'm going to make a new covenant with Israel. That God promised when Jesus initiated that last supper the night before he was crucified and he took that cup and said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for the remission of sins of many. The new covenant was ratified when Jesus signed his own name to it in his own blood on the cross. What does that mean? It means you're not the same person you always thought you were. You're a brand new person. Your responsibility? Believe it. Believe what's true about you. The result is not just that you'll feel better, but you will. You'll have this sense of hope. You'll be encouraged. You'll have confidence. But the real result is you will actually be able to love other people just like Christ and fulfill your high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, as we come into your presence, I thank you. I thank you for this new covenant. I thank you for the promises you give us in this new covenant. And I ask you, Father, to make it real to us today through your Spirit working in our hearts and minds. For these things we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes. 